if you've been around a while or if you're new, I'm going to kind of inform you. We are currently walking through Peter's letter that, that's called First Peter. We know that Peter was a, a close follower of Jesus. He was kind of a type A kind of guy, and he was there all the years of Jesus' public ministry and was there when Jesus was crucified. And uh, he was part of the early church that sprang in, and he wrote this letter to um, uh, to some people that had been scattered. They were in modern-day Turkey, which was under the Roman Empire at that time, and he's writing to them to encourage them and to uh, let them know about what they faced. However, bottom line is is that he's talking about the, the time of your life, whatever you have left, what we talked about that last week, needs to be lived on mission for the king. And so I want you to take your devices or your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. And we're going to pick it up in verse 12 as we uh, get into this. But let me, let me preface before we get into this. Okay? You're not going to like this message. Because it's truth and it's hard. You know, there's times that you would like to take your Bible and tear out certain things because they don't quite feel so good. And uh, today is one of those times because these people were suffering and he's writing to talk to them about suffering and he doesn't talk um, about suffering as though it's some weird thing. This is what's going to happen for those that follow Jesus closely. And so I want you to think about that as we open this up. And, the, and this is the picture that came to my mind as I thought about this. I thought about, you know, imagine we were to go out to uh, the gold rush in California in the 1840s. And we were to go out there and uh, we were to get a plot of land. And on this land, there's a, there's a body of water, a stream that's flowing through there. And there's a big old rock right in the middle of the stream. And we're panning all around it. We're digging all around it. The water finds a way around the boulder. But yet we know that that boulder is in the way. And so we start chipping away at that boulder, and it seems like we're getting nowhere on this thing. But eventually, after all the chips, it breaks apart, and underneath there is gold that is there. But you had to go through the rock. And so often, we want to go around the rock instead of through the rock to see the gold that is there. And that's the way I look at suffering. And today, I'm going to be sharing some things out of God's Word, and you're going to say, man, that's just like hitting rock. And I'm sure that Jesus, when he taught, felt that way. Peter, when he taught, felt that way. That he's just hitting rock. And God, what's it going to take to rip that open so that we have the gold underneath there? Keep that in mind as we, as we read. Why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 12 through verse 19. It's on the screen if you don't have a device or your Bible. But this is what it says. Dear friends... Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. How about that one? For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. I love that. 
that you're talking about thieves and criminals. Oh, and by the way, if you're a meddler, you're in the same boat. I think it's because our words can be as injurious as any murder. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Well, Lord, this is hard. We... uh we like to talk about love and we like to talk about joy and peace and contentment. But Lord, your Bible that you've given us, your word where you reveal yourself is full of uh, talk about suffering and uh, persecution. And we struggle with that because, Lord, we don't like it. But Lord, we know that you can use anything, especially suffering, to make us grow deeper. So, Lord, would you open your word and open our hearts and minds right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If we were to look at the modern day gospel, and I know no, nobody would say, well, that's really what I believe, but the way we live is the way I'm about to describe it. This is the modern day gospel when it comes to Jesus. If you come to Jesus, all his all is peace and harmonious. There is no anxiety or depression. You never get ill. Your body's always healthy. You have more than enough finances and they're always met. Your kids won't rebel and they'll make high impact. Everyone likes you. You make all A's. Your car never breaks down. There is no pressure or time demands. You have no marital problems. And all your expectations and dreams are met. Now, no one would ever say that, but a lot of times we live our lives believing that. And then, if you're a faithful churchgoer and you may serve, then you've got God's favor. And if you go to church and get God's favor, you get extra pats on the back. Uh, you get more health and success. You get more money. You get a bigger mansion in heaven. And I know nobody would say that. But what happens when our expectations of that are not met, we start whining at God and saying, why did you leave me? But yet we look at what the gospel says and what the scriptures say, and Jesus himself said, consider the cost. Before you come and follow me, Jesus said, you consider the cost. Is it worth what it's going to cost? And then he said, take up your cross and follow me. And he said, this is what he said. He said, enter by the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate and easy is the path that leads to destruction. And those that find it are many. But he said, narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And those that find it are few. And then he said this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you... When people persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on account of me, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for thus they persecuted the prophets who were before me. That's what Jesus said. 
We want to skip over that stuff. And Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, uh, just sit and be comfortable. He said, follow me. And, and he even said this in John chapter 15. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so Jesus forewarned us of all these things. And yet, when our expectations are not met of money and health and wealth and uh, good things happening, when bad things happen, what do we do? We whine, we complain, we get stuck, we go nowhere. I find it in my life. When things aren't going according to Mark's plan, which it means that all my relationships are healthy, that my kids are doing the right thing, my grandkids are doing the right thing, my health is in shape. When all of that is happening, I am good with God. But the minute they go south, I'm saying, God, where are you at? But when I read God's word, he said, why do you not see it? As we look at this passage, there's four things I want you to grab out of it. In verse 12, he says this, dear friends. Now, the, what I love about it is that Peter, the, the literal translation is beloved. I love that because Peter knows he's about to give a hard word and he just reminds them that they're special and that he loves them. And so I say, dear beloved today. But point number one is this. Don't be surprised by suffering. Notice what he says in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as my followers that this is happening to you. And, and, uh, he uses the term fiery ordeal. Let me give you a little history right quick. Chances are that this letter from Peter was written to these people around the mid-60s. The emperor uh, or the Caesar over the whole Roman Empire was a guy by the name of Nero. If you know anything about Nero, he, he had an ego as big as you could get, as the Roman Empire, basically. And he wanted to, uh, he, didn't, he didn't care for the Christians anyway. He was having them persecuted at different levels. But he wanted to, his ego was so big, he wanted to destroy part of the Rome city in Italy and rebuild it for himself. So he had this idea to set it on fire. And one of the things he did is he would take Christians and he would soak them in oil and use them as human torches to light the city. And then he came up with a story that Christians rebelled and thus burned the city, and which never happened. He himself had that happen. And so these people in Turkey who were under the Roman Empire had heard of that. And I think that maybe Peter's using a little word picture here is that do not be surprised at these fiery ordeals. Now, I know none of you in this room are going through the possibility of becoming a human torch yet. But yet we do suffer and we come under trials. And how do we handle those? Why do we seem so weird about them? Like, I can't believe that's happening to me. Look at me, God. I'm one of your favorites, aren't I? But yet we handle it that it's weird or strange. Or, or we don't deserve it. Or we think this. God, 
I, I just deserve bad luck anyway. I, I just deserve it. You know, because we have this poor self-image that we walk under and say, okay, God, I understand. I deserve this. But the reality is this, people. If we are going to be the light of the world, the darker the culture gets, the darkness is going to come against that light. And you and I are put in a position to where the darkness is going to come against us. Our culture is not getting better, people. It's not getting better. As Becky said, our kids are having to put up with things that we never dreamt of at that age. Because the culture is coming against them. The darkness is coming against them. And if you're going to shine for Jesus, suffering is going to come. It's going to come. Now, I'm not saying that all suffering is of the enemy. And we'll deal with that a little bit more. Verse 13 and 14, write down this as number two. Don't be scared of suffering. Don't be scared of suffering. Notice what it says in verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do not be scared when suffering comes. In fact, it is a blessing. It shows that you're truly a child of God in how you hold up under that suffering. People look at you and see that. We, we know that in uh, Acts chapter 5, that Peter and John were uh, these two uneducated, simple men were arrested for the sake of Christ. And they told them, do not speak anymore for Jesus. And they said, we can't help it. I think they literally meant it. The Spirit was so such upon them, we can't help it. You can threaten us all you want, but we can't help but talk about Jesus. And so whatever comes of that, it's going to have to come because we can't stop. And sure enough, they were beating, beaten for their, for their uh, boldness for Christ. And this is what they said. They said in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, they said, We consider it an incredible honor that we suffer for Jesus. And make us bold, basically, so we can suffer more. Do not be scared because this is the deal. I can promise you this. Whatever you're going through, God has not abandoned you. You remember Jesus on the cross? He even felt this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He even felt it. But God has never abandoned. And I, I, I don't know if I'm not the only one that are going to tell you. When I start going through hard times, whatever it may be, I start thinking, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? He said, Mark, I've never, I've never left you. I'm with you in the midst of what you're going through. And if Jesus suffered then we will suffer. And it's an honor to suffer. You know, what we do know is this. Where, where all suffering comes from, I think it comes from a fallen world. It comes from an enemy. It comes from, from a, a sinful place. It comes from all different angles. But we do know this. Hear this. Evil exists, right? I mean, if you don't think evil exists, you're living with your head in, a, in, the, in the ground. Evil exists. Number two, though, God allows evil to exist. He, he has a plan to use even evil. So if evil exists and God allows evil to exist, then thirdly, we know that God can use all things to strengthen us and to 
give himself glory through it. Pause. I'm hitting a rock right now. I tell you why I'm hitting a rock. Some of you are thinking, ah, that's for first century. Or it's not me. My life's pretty good right now. I'm hitting a rock. But the chiseling of that rock, the gold will be underneath. The third thought that I want you to write down is this. Do be selective in your suffering. Do be selective in your suffering. Notice verse 15. If you suffer, in other words, there's going to be times that you don't suffer. If you suffer, though, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Do be selective in your suffering. Listen, you and I can go be stupid and create suffering. And it's not from God. It's not from the devil. It's just from your own dumb decisions you make. I mean, there's a reason that there's murderers and they're meddlers and they're thieves. They go out and they bring suffering on themselves for the sake of that. I had a thought, too. Can you imagine some of these Christians probably wanted to retaliate against Rome? And maybe Peter is saying, listen, don't be dumb here. You're going to suffer enough. Don't bring it on yourself. But don't be scared of it. But be selective in how suffering comes. Because it will come. If they hated me, they will hate you. Don't bring it on yourself. Don't let it be a consequence of a wrong choice. You know, have boundaries on what you, what you can do. But be selective in your suffering. You know, you need to be smart. You need to be smart. Sometimes the suffering that we are going through is because of wrong decisions we made. And so we need to be selective. If we're going to suffer, let's do it for the sake of Christ. And then number four is this. Write this down. Do be sensitized by suffering. Picking it up in verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, the word Christian is not used very much in Scripture. I think three times. It says in the, in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians at Antioch. And the word Christian, we use it today. Uh, I kind of cut back on using it. I, I'd rather use the term Christ follower simply because if you and I were to walk out on Main Street right now, Round Rock, stop 10 people, say, are you a Christian? What is a Christian? We'd get 10 different answers. People don't even know anymore. The term Christian that Peter's using here, the term Christian came as a derogatory uh, characterization of these followers of Jesus. It, it literally meant little Jesuses or little Christ. They were either uh, uh, Caesar followers. They called themselves Christ followers. And so they used it as a derogatory term, made fun of them by calling them little Jesuses, little Christ. And, and he says, if you suffer for the sake of this, listen, count it as a blessing. Be sensitized to that. And then it goes on to say, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For, for it, is, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But notice verse 19 one more time. So then, 
Those who suffer according to God's will. God's will for us to get hit like that rock to be burst open. I think there's three three things that suffering does. And I think this may be helpful to you. I think first of all, suffering purifies. It, it's like it's like the metal that is refined. You know what I'm talking about? You take metal to refine it, you put it in the heated um, uh, situation, and is it to destroy the metal? No, no, it's to take away the impurities that are in the metal. It is to purify that metal until eventually the one who is doing the purifying sees his reflection in it, and then the metal has been purified. And so sometimes it's the hitting on the rock, it's the suffering that God is using. I didn't say God caused it necessarily, but He allowed it to come to purify you. Reverend William Secker said this, By affliction, the Lord separates the sin that He hates from the soul that He loves. He separates the sin that He hates from the soul that He loves. I remember, it's been several years ago now, it was uh, one of those days that uh, my mom was still alive. She was, uh, we're going back many years ago, and uh, it was a Monday. She was going to be having surgery, and uh, we were dealing with some family issues. The kids were all out of the house, but we were dealing with some wrong decisions that they had made. And uh, scenarios of life. I got had to get up extremely early, go to Waco, be there for my mom going into surgery. She came out of surgery, got into recovery. I came back home because we had something to deal with that night. And we came back and we dealt with what we dealt with. And I came home. And I'm telling you, I was emotionally, physically, and spiritually gone. I mean, I was completely depleted dealing with these things. And the way to get to me is you get to me through my family. The enemy knows that. I may as well tell you because he uses it. And Pam and I were getting ready for bed, and I'm, I, I'm laying there, and she says, uh, I need to tell you something else. I thought, man, what else can happen? You know, I'm, I'm, th- at this time I'm wondering, why did we have three kids? And she comes and she tells me about another issue, which was going to mean I wasn't going to sleep. And so I lay there, lights off, just thinking, God, what's going on? Have you left us? I mean, I'm not sensing you at all, God, in this. And as I was laying there, I had to, I I don't call it a vision, but it's vivid enough for me to remember Every day of my life. I just had this picture of my arms out and these props holding me up underneath there. And one by one, they were getting thumped out from under me. I just felt that. I felt like everything that I thought I'd done right. You ever been there? The things you think you did do right, all of a sudden are getting thumped out. 
because we prop ourselves up and we pat ourselves on the back. And I just felt like they were getting thumped out one by one until all that was left was God himself holding me. That's just being transparent. Because I knew that I couldn't fix it as much as I wanted to. And I just had to rely on the Father. It was a purifying process. It was a refiner's fire for me because we were walking through this. So it purifies. Number two, it humbles. It humbles. Uh, suffering humbles. It's, it's, I look at it this way. It's like sandpaper. And those things in my life, just continuing the story of Mark, those things that I've built Mark on, right? The prideful things. You think you're, you're a great parent. You think you're a great pastor. You think you're a great whatever it is. And the ego gets involved. And God has a way of using the trials of life as sandpaper to take off the rough edges. And uh, any of you been there? And and what I what I feel like is that uh, I'm transparent. You know, if, if anything comes out of the things that Pam and I have gone through as a family and we've gone through as a family, I don't think there's anything that can happen that we haven't gone through at some level that would shock me. You know? And and, and come about. But what God does is He, he takes those things because we want to be prideful so often. Oh, look how great a parent I'm at. Oh, look at their kids. Whoa. You know? You know? They're doing that kind of work. Oh, man. They've got a strongholder addiction. Oh, look at them. And you know what God does through suffering? He takes that sandpaper and said, you're to love them. And, and what it's done, and the, and the last one, right quick, suffering is purifying, suffering is humbling, but, but thirdly, it makes us dependent upon God. Let me tell you about me, because I'm all I know. Through those trials and sufferings, I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing to build my life upon except for a God who loves me. You know, I got a family that love me. They could, they could be gone tomorrow. I got you that love me. You can fire me, and I'd be gone tomorrow. I got a community. I love a lot of people. I could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone tomorrow. But the Lord has taught me through suffering. Through the sandpaper, all I can do is transparent and authentic. And that's me. Good or bad, that's me. So what about you today? See, this isn't easy, isn't it? I mean, we want to talk about the love, yes. The forgiveness, yes. Redemption, yes. I was lost and unfound, yes. I was blind, but now I see, yes. But we can't we can't cut out the rest of the gospel. And I've read the end of the book. We do win. But yet, as long as you're in these earth suits, you're going to suffer. Let me let me wrap it up with this. 
There was a young man by the name of William Borden. I've got a picture of William Borden here. Uh, William Borden, I, I had, William Borden, uh, the last name sounds familiar. Some of you probably had milk this morning. He was part of the, the Borden Empire. William Borden, when he, very wealthy family, when he graduated high school, how about this for a senior trip? His family, we're talking about uh, uh, end of the century, into the 1900s. They sent him on a world trip when he graduated from high school. And he went, but William Borden had given his life to Christ. And as he's doing this world travel, his heart broke for one particular people group that they'd come to Jesus. They were Muslims living in China. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to eventually come tell those people about Jesus. And so he took his Bible and he wrote in his Bible this, two words, no reserve. In other words, no reservations. I'm following Jesus no matter what. No reserves. I'm going to set my life to the focus of going to share the gospel with those people. He went to Yale University in 1905. And at Yale, while he was there, he's attempting to live for Jesus. But he noticed in Yale, even in 1905, that the uh, faculty had become very secular, that their theology was, was not what it should be. And he had a group of friends, and they began to pray, and began to pray for the faculty, began to pray for revival. And what they did is they started sharing the gospel. And uh, the story goes that William Borden would say, if there's somebody on their campus that nobody had the opportunity to share with, no matter, they thought they were too hard, he said, let me go talk to them. Because he wanted people to come to Jesus that bad, and they prayed about it. And so William Borden, uh, as a high school graduate, wrote No Reserve in his Bible. And he wrote, uh, when he was at Yale, he wrote this in his Bible, No Retreat. He was set to focus, no retreat. I'm headed forward for the gospel. Eventually, he graduated and went to Cairo. He was headed to China, but he stopped off in Cairo so he could learn the language to go on into China and share with these Muslim people. He's in Cairo, and while he's there, he's not been there but uh, just a short amount of time, and he develops meningitis. And within a month, at the age of 25, he dies. And they found his Bible, and he's buried in Cairo today. And in his Bible, under that no reserve, no retreat, he wrote no regrets. Also in Egypt, there was a find in in Egypt that uh, was on display in Cairo as well. It was about a 17-year-old king by the name of King Tut. It was full of all of the gold and everything in the world you could probably want. And what we know about King Tut, at 17 he died. He had all of the world's goods, but his soul was probably barren and never met Christ. And yet you got, not too far away, buried a simple plot, a guy by the name of William Borden, who died also as a young man, but lived with no regrets, despite all the suffering he went through. Making an eternal impact. With your life, can you say no reserves? 
no retreat, no, despite what you're going through, health issues, relational stuff. Your kids maybe have not turned out. Your, your, your wealth has not been what you thought it was. The props have gotten kicked out from under you. Can you still got, say, God, you're all. You're enough. You're enough. And then can you say no regrets? Thank you.